0: Once again, it's good to be here tonight and to see each one of you. We welcome those who may be watching uh, the service tonight by way of streaming. And uh, we'd ask all of you to continue to be in a mind of prayer as we make this effort to speak to you tonight. I mentioned to you how I wanted you to look and read Genesis chapter 37. This will introduce us to the life of a man by the name of Joseph. Um, there are several reasons I wanted to do this about Joseph's life. First, it's just something I've had on my mind and in my heart, really, for a pretty good while. And I felt like this would be the, the best time to do it. Uh, number two, uh, Joseph represents one of the uh, most prominent characters in the book of Genesis. In fact, he is the last prominent character in the book of Genesis. If we began to look at these different ones that would be in this category, we found him to be number seven. Uh, The first is Adam. The second would be Abel. The third would be Noah. The fourth would be Abraham. The fifth would be Isaac. The sixth would be Jacob. And the seventh would be Joseph. The last 14 chapters of the book of Genesis, there's 50 chapters in this book. The last 14 chapters in the book of Genesis are going to be all about Joseph. Now, Heaven spotlight, so to speak, is going to shine on him beginning in this chapter. We'll probably spend some time in this chapter because the events in this chapter are going to set up everything that happens between here and the end of the book, end of the life of Joseph. Joseph's death is the last thing that's recorded in the book of Genesis. He starts off at 17, here in 37. He dies at age of 110. I believe that's about, uh, let's see, 90-some years in his life that's covered in these last 14 chapters of Genesis. But before we speak about Joseph specifically, I think it would help us to take a look at the family of Joseph. Because the family of Joseph is going to be very much involved, especially his brothers and, of course, his father, uh, in his life. Now, Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons of Jacob. Now, those 12 sons all had one father. But those 12 sons had four mothers. So you got one father and four mothers and 12 sons. Now, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster in a lot of different ways. Okay, so we have a whole lot of half-brothers involved here. Now, Jacob's his father, and being familiar with Jacob's life, I think familiar to a great extent. In fact, that when he went and was fleeing uh, his brother Esau, he winds up uh, over with his uncle Laban. And when he gets there, he spots this young lady by the name of Rachel. And his heart just is smitten, and he falls in love instantly with Rachel. So he serves seven years for uncle Laban, thinking he's going to get Rachel. But it turned out Rachel was not the firstborn. And the custom in in that part of the country in particular, and pretty much in the world, was that the firstborn was to be married first. So he had to serve seven more years in order to have Rachel. So he served 14 years and got Leah and Rachel. When it comes time to have a family, we find that Rachel was not able to conceive for a good while. So Leah was very fruitful. And so we find where Leah is going to be the mother of his first four sons. And then we find where she brought her handmaid to him, and she had, uh, Jacob had two more sons, now we got six. We find where Rachel brought her handmaid to Jacob, had two sons, and now We have eight. Well, then the Lord blessed Leah once again to have two more sons. Now we have ten. But in Genesis 30, we find where the Bible says that the Lord remembered Rachel and the Lord hearkened unto her and God opened her womb. God did three things for Rachel. He remembered Rachel. That word remember doesn't mean that he had forgotten about her, and all of a sudden he's thinking about her. It means that he's going to do something special for her. So he remembers her, and he hearkened unto her, which tells me that Rachel had pleaded and begged in her prayers that God might bless her to conceive. So he hearkened unto her, and then he blessed her to conceive, and she brought forth a son, and she named him Joseph. Joseph. Now, the name Joseph is important. It means adding, which means fruitful. He was going to have a very fruitful life. Now, as we look at the life of Joseph, one of the things we want to do, in particular, is find as many places where we see something in Joseph's life, something he did, something he said, that should remind us of the Son of God. He's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in more ways, I believe, than any Old Testament character. Some people have said they have found at least a hundred different ways that Joseph is a picture, a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if we'll find a hundred or not. That's a lot. Right? But we should be able to find quite a few. When we speak about someone being a type or a picture of someone or something in the New Testament, it just simply means there's something about that person's life or about that place or location or whatever it may be uh, that should remind us of something that we've read and studied over here in the New Testament. So Joseph is is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ again in many different ways. So she calls his name Joseph and it means adding and she says for God shall add to me another son. Now I don't know how she knew that unless God just impressed upon her mind and heart that he's not going to be your only child. She just knew she was going to have another son, which she did. She conceives again. And this time, she's going to have a son by the name of Benjamin. That'll be son number 12. And she died in childbirth. And as she was dying in childbirth, she called his name Benonimai, which means son of sorrow. But Jacob named him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. Now, Benjamin in this way is also a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because there's never been a man of sorrow any greater than Jesus himself. One of the things said about Jesus by prophecy, by the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 53, that he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. But also we know that when the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven after his resurrection and he's spending 40 days on this earth, that he went into heaven and sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. He indeed is the, you know, the son of my right hand. And it's at least, at least six, maybe seven or so different uh, verses that bring that to attention that Jesus Christ sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1.3, for example, he said, "...being the brightness of his glory and express image of his person, when he had by himself purchased us from our sins..." He sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. So Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, is a type of Christ. The standpoint of the two names uh, that both Rachel and Jacob gave him at his birth. And again, Rachel died in childbirth. So nothing is really said about Joseph from the time that he's born until we get to Genesis chapter 37. And he's 17 years of age. Think about that now. As you begin to study his life, we're not talking about a man who's 30 or who's 40 or 50 or whatever. We're talking about a 17-year-old teenager, a 17-year-old young man. Now, in the congregation night, we have several teenagers. Uh, Brother Ty is 18. Brother Ryan is 16. So Joseph is right in between the two of you. So just think about that. Just get that in your mind. A 17-year-old boy, young man. I, I think we could say young man. Because in the time that Joseph was born, I'm very certain he began to be very active in learning trade, uh, trade or doing his chores and doing different tasks. And I believe uh, people matured quicker uh, in that day. And those circumstances, when they were given jobs to do outside, rather than sitting in the house looking at a pa- iPad or television or a computer screen or whatever, and so this is Joseph's life. This is the life of every child as they came into this world and grew up. Uh, they didn't wait till they got to be grown and about ready to leave home to give them a task to perform. I'm sure Joseph uh, began to learn many things as a small boy, as a four years old, five, eight, ten, twelve. And now we come to the point where he is 17 years of age. So keep that in mind tonight. So again, the last 14 chapters of Genesis be devoted to the life of Joseph. Now this chapter opens up by saying, And Jacob dwelt in the land of wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. Now he's talking about Abraham. Now also think about this. The father of Joseph was Jacob. His grandfather was Isaac. His great-grandfather was Abraham. How would you like to have a legacy like that? I mean, you know, how, uh, uh, looking back, you know, uh, at your kinfolks here. His father's Jacob. His grandfather's Isaac. His great-grandfather is Abraham. Abraham was the beginning of the Jewish race, of the nation of Israel. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are grouped together numerous times, especially in the New Testament. The Lord Jesus Christ said, They shall come from the east and the west, and they shall sit down in the kingdom of God with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's something about Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that those who are in the kingdom of heaven have a connection to. When you look at Abraham, he's a picture of election. It was God who chose Abraham. Abraham didn't choose to leave the land there of the Chaldees. God chose him. God laid his hand on him. And God called him. And God told him to get up out of that land, away from his kindred, go to the land that he would show him. Isaac is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the standpoint of his a miraculous conception. Who was his mother? His mother was Sarah. How old was she? She had Isaac. She was 90 years old. How old was Abraham? He's 100 years old. They were old and well stricken in years when Isaac was conceived. He had a miraculous conception just like the Lord Jesus Christ did. And then Jacob, how he represents uh, the Lord's people in so many ways. You know, uh, Jacob showed no, no interest in God for a good part of his life until the Lord found him in the desert land, in a waste-howling wilderness. And there is when God revealed himself unto him, and Jacob's life takes a turn, obviously, for the better. His name means supplanter. It means trickster. So this is a family that Joseph comes from. (laughs) Maybe today, you know, somebody with the last name of Bush or Kennedy (laughs) might say, well, let me tell you a little bit about my kindred. And they can just rattle off all these people that are well-known historically in politics and out here uh, in the the world. But Joseph says, well, my father is Jacob. And my grandfather is Isaac. My great-grandfather is Abraham. And you can't get much better than that. So now we have Joseph at 17. And they're in Canaan's land right now. But this is a different time than when we read in the book of Joshua. In the book of Joshua, we find where Joshua leads an entire nation of people across the Jordan River into the land of Canaan. Now, they're going to occupy that land based upon God's promise to give it to them. But right now, we just find Jacob and his 12 sons. Now, he also did have a daughter by the name of Dinah. And actually, that'll come into play a little bit later on in this chapter right here. But we normally think about the 12 sons of Jacob. So they're in the land of Canaan. We find that Joseph is 17, uh, and he's feeding the flock with his brethren. Now, this is, shows something about his occupation. Well, I, I hope that uh, we already, all of us here tonight, have already picked this one up, <laughs> because he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ from the standpoint that he was a shepherd. Now, early before Joseph, we find, you know, Abel was a shepherd, and later Moses was a shepherd. And David was a shepherd, all pointing to Jesus Christ. But here, Joseph, the first thing we find that Joseph is doing is feeding his father's flock with his brethren, his older brethren. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ is brought to our attention in John chapter 10 as the good shepherd of the sheep, isn't he? You know, he said, I know my sheep. They hear my voice. They follow me. I know my sheep. They're, um, uh, again, My voice is what they hear. They follow me. I give them eternal life. Uh, No man can pluck them out of my hand. They shall never perish. And my Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. So the Lord Jesus Christ was in as the good shepherd to us. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here he's referred to as the great shepherd in his resurrection. And the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, as he instructs the elders to feed the flock of God which is among them, he said, then when the chief shepherd shall appear. Ministers are oftentimes referred to as shepherds as under-shepherds. That's what we are. We're an under-shepherd to the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. But he's the chief shepherd. He's also, of course, the returning shepherd. So we see the name of Joseph means something. And his occupation means something. Now, let's go back to his name just for a moment here, because that's not the only name that Joseph will be given. Joseph is given that name by Jacob and Rachel. Rachel calls his name uh, Joseph. But in the 41st chapter of Genesis, and we don't want to get too far ahead in this, we find where Pharaoh gives Joseph a second name. And it also points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that name means revealer of secrets. Revealer of secrets. Well, what did Jesus Christ reveal while he was here in this world? Well, he revealed the Father's love, didn't he? When he was baptized, a voice rang out from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, of whom I am well pleased. Jesus revealed the love of the Father to him. Then we found the Mountain of Transfiguration where it was said again, This is my beloved Son. Hear ye Him. So we see the Father's love is brought to our attention through the Lord Jesus Christ. He also revealed the Father's will in many different places, but John 6, 38 and 39. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. All He hath given me, I shall lose nothing, but raise up again at the last day. He also revealed the minds and hearts of men. And those he interacted with, he revealed that, didn't he? Look in Luke chapter 7, for example. We find where Jesus Christ is in the home of a Pharisee who invited him for a meal. That was a highly unusual thing. Apart from Mary and Martha and Lazarus, uh, Jesus didn't get many invitations. I can assure you that. But on this occasion, a Pharisee invited him. But there was a sinner woman that was there. And she came and standing behind him again to weep. To the point that she began to wash his feet with the tears of her hair, and dry the uh, tears of her eyes, I mean, and dry them with, with the hair of her head. And this Pharisee, the Bible says, thought within himself. He didn't say this out loud. He thought within himself. If this man was who he said he was, he would know that this woman is a sinner. This woman would be a sinner, and he wouldn't allow her to be touching him the way she's touching him. Well, she is a sinner because we're all sinners, for one thing, right? Romans 3.23, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners by nature and sinners by practice, unfortunately. But this woman was a sinner by nature, and she had been a sinner by practice to the point where she had the label that she was a sinner. But Jesus knew exactly what the Pharisee was thinking. He might as well said it out loud. Jesus knew everything that he was going through his mind. And we won't go through the rest of that story. You go study it for yourself, but you'll find where the Lord asked him the question, uh, you know, about who would love him the most, etc. And there's a man who owed this much money and another this much. If he forgave them both. Who would love him the most? Is he the one who owed the most? Then he went on to show how much more she loved him than he did. But he knew his heart, knew his mind, knew his thoughts, although he set them within himself. The Lord revealed the mind and wills of men while he was here. That second name that Pharaoh gave unto Joseph means a revealer of secrets. So we see the synecron in his name and how he's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ from that point of view. Then we see his occupation being that of a shepherd pointing to the life of the Lord Jesus Christ when he came here. And you know, a shepherd is caring and tender. A real true shepherd loves his sheep. A true shepherd loves the sheep that he takes care of. He'll try to lead them away from danger. He'll try to lead them to the greenest grass and the clearest water for them to be able to eat and to drink. He will be watching them on a regular basis to see if one of the lambs or sheep show a sign of sickness or maybe they've gotten hurt or gotten injured. And he's right there to be a physician to them wasn't Christ, that, wasn't Christ that in every aspect during his earthly life and earthly ministry? Was he not always teaching his sheep and taking care of his sheep, guiding his sheep, showing compassion to his sheep? Well, Joseph is feeding his father's sheep with his brethren. Now notice what it says here. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zippah, his father's wives. He's not with all of his brethren, just those Those four. He's with four of his brethren. And Joseph brought on his father their evil report. And we're not told what the evil report was. But something they were doing that disturbed Joseph to the point that he felt like his father should know about it. This tells me something about the character of Joseph. He could have just said nothing. But saying nothing might look like that he was party to it or going along with it. But he brought to his father their evil report. They were involved in something they shouldn't have been involved with. They were doing something they shouldn't have done, been doing. And he brings it to the father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the light of the world, isn't he? We look in John chapter 1 and it says that uh, in him was life and this life was the light of men. Uh, He was that light, that lighteth every man that comes in the world. this world is a picture of darkness and the Lord Jesus Christ is the light of it. He is the light. That's why he tells his disciples to let your light so shine before me and they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You've been given a light from the Son of God. And we need to let that light so shine. But light makes manifest and reveals things, does it not? You walk into a room it's total darkness. You can't see a thing in that room until you flip on the light. When you flip on the light, everything in that room is observed and seen, Right? You can see everything in that room. And the Lord Jesus Christ was the light of this world, and He was constantly exposing the wickedness and the evilness and the darkness of this world here in which we live. Another picture where Joseph is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ here. So He brings an evil report of His brothers unto His father. Now, here's a lovely verse, verse 3. Now Israel, of course, is Jacob. Sometimes Jacob is referred to as Jacob. Sometimes it's Israel. Um, Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was a son of his old age and made him a coat of many colors. Now about the most, a lot of people know about Joseph is the fact that his father gave him a coat of many colors. (laughs) And that's a very significant thing as hopefully we'll see here in just a moment. But we see here that Jacob loved him more than his other sons. Now, from a humanity point of view, that just wasn't good. And that's going to play into some things that's going to happen here in a short period of time. But at the same time, it points us again to God the Father and God the Son. Because God the Father, we've already stated, spoke on several occasions how this is my beloved Son of whom I am well pleased. Jesus Christ was God's beloved Son. And Jacob loving Joseph more than all of his other brothers, giving him a coat of many colors, indicated the special bonding relationship that Jacob had with Joseph. Now, Joseph was the 11th son, as I've already said, but he was the firstborn of Rachel. Now, who did Jacob love with all of his heart? It was Rachel, wasn't it? Now, I'm sure he loved Leah to a great extent. But as you read the lies of Leah and Rachel, you won't have to do much guessing to see that his heart was always with Rachel. And the firstborn son he had was Reuben. But Reuben had forfeited his birthright as being the oldest son. And I have no doubt that Joseph here is showing forth that his heir is not going to be any of those other sons. His heir is going to be Joseph just like we read in Hebrews chapter 1, that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. Again, that should remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is going to create some problems with the other brethren without any doubt. But Jacob loved Joseph more than his other brethren, and he gave him a coat of many colors. Now, the word colors literally means pieces. In other words, this is a coat that's not solid. This is a coat made up of different pieces, different pieces of different colors, so it's a coat of many pieces in many colors. You know uh, the Apostle Peter, how he describes the grace of God? The Apostle Peter describes the grace of God as the manifold grace of God. That means there's different parts to it. There's different aspects of the grace of God. Now, I've heard some of our ministers make this statement uh, a number of times over the years. Uh, that preachers have preached too much grace, that the Lord's people have been rocked in the cradle of grace. I don't think you can preach too much grace, okay? But I do believe it needs to be balanced. And so our ministers indeed did. I can remember growing up in the Old Baptist Church, as they would emphasize over and over and over again, the you might say, the saving grace of God, how we're saved by the grace of God. Ephesians 2.8 was a favorite text to take. For the grace that you say through faith, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of work, lest any man should boast. And I love that text. I love to quote that text, read that text, preach from that text, hear that text preached from. But there's grace for every aspect of our life. There's saving grace. There's serving grace. There's living grace. There's giving grace. And there's dying grace. And you can't preach too much grace if you're covering these different categories of grace, you see. A balanced picture, in other words, is what we have here. Peter says that the grace of God is the manifold grace of God. It's like the rainbow. It has so many colors in it. and Like a diamond turned in so many different directions. You know, it shows the beauty of that diamond. That's the way grace is. Now, if you look in the book of James chapter 4, he says, for he giveth More grace. (laughs) How can you preach too much grace that the Bible says he gives more grace? (laughs) It's not a matter of preaching too much grace. It's just a matter about preaching uh, too much of a certain aspect of God's grace and not showing how important God's grace is for daily living here in this world. Every day when you get up and you breathe your air, God's grace just fell upon you. When your feet hit the floor and you got life still and you got strength and you've got health enough to go about your daily activities and go to your job, God's grace has just been bestowed upon you. Whenever you take a look at your wife and your children and see how wonderful how blessed you are, you know what? You're looking at God's grace in your life. Who here tonight deserves these kind of blessings? Who here tonight deserves uh, the blessings of life? <laughs> Nobody does. we you're getting to really look at our lives, how far short that we've come, we just do not deserve it. We just do not deserve it. He gave him a coat of many colors. Now, the coat of many colors, if you take a look at the Bible, the Bible's the best, best interpreter of itself. The coat of many colors that Joseph wore gave him uh, identity. It showed a distinction. At a distance, if you saw Joseph coming, you didn't have, wouldn't have no trouble picking him out who he was because he had a coat on nobody else wore, right? Nobody else wore that coat. It was only for Joseph, and only Joseph wore that coat of many colors, a coat of distinction. If you look in Judges chapter five, you will find uh, where it's a coat of distinction from the standpoint um, that those who were daughters of virgins, uh, kings, I mean, that were virtuous daughters of kings, they would wear a coat of many colors. Uh, You'll find warriors. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 13. You'll find warriors who came back from battle. They were victorious. They would wear a coat of many colors uh, when they came back to their homeland. And when the people saw the horses coming, they didn't have any trouble figuring out which one was the commander. Because he had a coat on. Nobody else had a coat on like it. So that coat of many colors showed distinction. And if we take a look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can see this is about all we'll get to tonight. All right. A lot, a look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wore that coat of many colors from the time he was conceived to the time he went back to glory. Who else has ever had a conception like Jesus? Can you name me anybody else tonight uh, that was conceived other than by the seed of a man? <laughs> no, you can't just one, the Lord Jesus Christ a fulfillment of Scripture, just like Genesis 3.15 was fulfilled when the Lord said unto the woman, and to the serpent rather, that uh, the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the seed of the serpent. Not the seed of the man, but the seed of the woman. He's talking about the virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary is set aside, handpicked by God to bring forth His Son into this world. And from the standpoint of His his conception in her womb by the power of the Holy Ghost, he was given that coat of many colors at that very point when Jesus was baptized. You know how many people was baptized when Jesus was baptized? Well, I don't either. (laughs) But I know it was a lot. (laughs) There was a lot of people. John the Baptist is baptizing a lot of people in Jordan's River, right? A lot of people. But then here comes one man. One man and the Holy Ghost comes down upon him, signifying who he is. And John points him out as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And when he baptizes him, a voice rings from heaven, saying, "This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased." And the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the bodily form and shape of a dove. It didn't happen on anybody else. That only happened with Jesus. Here's his coat of many colors. He's wearing a coat of distinction. You didn't have any trouble deciding who Jesus was. All the people John baptized, you didn't have any trouble deciding who Jesus was, right? You knew who he was. Jesus, when he went to the cross, he died a death unlike any death anybody has ever died before. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I have power to lay down my life. I have power to take it again. And the Lord Jesus Christ, hanging upon the cross with nails in his hands and nails in his feet, The Roman soldiers, yes, they crucified him, but I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ did not die one second sooner than he purposed to die. He laid his life down. His death is unique. He's the only one to rise from the dead by his own power. He's the only one to ascend into heaven by his own power. Somebody said, well, uh, Elijah went to heaven, didn't he? Yes, but not only his own power. God sent sent a, uh, a chariot and horses to get him. And he went to heaven in a whirlwind. I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ wore a coat of many colors that the Father gave unto him and he wore it from the time of his conception to the time of his ascension and he sat down the right hand of the majesty on high. The brethren hated him for this. You notice the word hate here in verse 4. And When his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all of his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peacefully unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. The second time, they hated him, they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. Behold, your sheaves that stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. Now, get that picture in your mind. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hate him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. We notice they hate him for two reasons. They hated his person and they hated his words. When Christ came to this world, they did the same. They hated him for his person and they hate him for his words. If you look in John 5 and 18, you'll find where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, has the Jews on this occasion are attempting to, to kill him because he's not only in their minds broken the Sabbath, but he's also claimed to be the Son of God. In other words, that's his person. They hated him because he claimed to be God's Son. In John chapter 10, the Lord. They pick up stones to stone him with. And they, the Lord said, why do you pick up stones to stone me with? And they said, he said, for what good work do you stone me for? And they said, for a good work we stone thee not, but thou being a man has made thyself God. Jesus wasn't a man who made himself God. He was God who became man, you see. They hated him for who he was, but they also hated him for his words. In the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you'll find where the Lord is teaching his sovereignty. And after he taught his sovereignty, showing how that God had taken care of a widow woman in Elisha's day, Uh, in Elijah's day, who was not a Jew, she's a Gentile, and how he had cleansed a leper in Elisha's day, who was not a Jew, but a Gentile. The Bible says they took him, and they thrust him out of the city. Can you imagine that? And they brought him to the brow of the hill, which means the edge of the hill, to cast him down headlong. Why was this? Because they hated him for the words that he spoke. You know what the Bible says, what Jesus did then? It says he just passed through the midst of them. <laughs> he just passed through the midst of them. These two dreams that he had, one is shows his earthly dominion, one shows his heavenly dominion. The first one there binding sheaves in the field. That's his earthly dominion. Now I can assure you that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and King of kings on earth. He's Lord of Lord and King of Kings in heaven. And the second one had to do with the sun and the moon and the stars, how they all did obeisance unto him. Well, what does that signify? The sun represented Jacob, the moon represented his mother, and the 11 stars represented his brethren. And when they heard that, they just hated him more. Three times it says they hated him the more, and then we're told that they ended him. Jacob heard this, and he rebuked Joseph. But then the Bible says, but Jacob observed the saying. He observed the saying. And we will close here tonight at this point. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has an earthly reign. The Lord Jesus Christ has a heavenly reign, doesn't He? Joseph here, I think we've already found six or eight pictures and types of the Lord Jesus Christ, correct? So we'll bring it to a stop here. Go back and read the 37th chapter and you can read chapter 37 through chapter 50 for the entire life of Christ, but go back and and just dwell in chapter 37 on what we've spoken of tonight and look at the rest of this chapter. And Lord willing, we'll pick up on this at our next opportunity.